0: What year is this? The year Here is 2020, 2020, and this, this is Pellet Hey there, welcome to Beyond Synth. That's right, that's the name of this show. This is episode 247. And on today's show, I'm going to be chatting with VHXRR, a.k.a. Von Herzog and Rob Rowe, and we'll be talking to them later on in the program. And I will be catching up with one of my awesome patrons, because I've been doing that the past few weeks, chatting to the awesome people who support Beyond Synth and keep the lights on in the studio. And uh, I just realized this episode is a day or two late. Again, I am having difficulty. I know a lot of you people are too, if you've been home, that I have no perception of time anymore. And this week, especially this week, I had the edit of the interview done in like record time. And I thought, oh, I'm so ahead here, man. I'm going to release an early episode. And then when I looked at the SoundCloud, I'm like... Oh fuck, it's been over a week, like I actually didn't know. So to make up for it, um, I was doing a music search this week and I found a whole bunch of artists I've never played on the show before, and so I'll be playing a bunch of tracks from artists new to the show and a few old favorites, and uh, yeah, we're gonna have a good time. So let's get this show started and listen to some music. Uh, This is a really fucking cool track from an act called All Hail the Silence. Uh, I think it's a collaboration between two dudes, BT and uh, Christian Burns. And uh, you're gonna dig this song because it's uh, pretty cool stuff. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We've got some new supporters this week, all in the Triple Six Club. So I don't know what that's about, but I would uh, (laughs) like to thank Evan Allen, Christian Quello, and Schneedle Woods, or Schneedle Woods, because it's like one word, all new members of the Triple Six Club. So thank you so much for supporting Beyond Synth. Now, let's go listen to this awesome song. This is All Hail the Silence with Massacre. And that was All Hail the Silence. It's a really cool track called Massacre. I don't know why I'm introducing it again, because you just heard it, but it's a cool song. And of course, uh, it was brought to you by uh, the Kings of the Pattersons. That's right. We're talking about Robert D. Bishop And Chris Dance and Mike Shema, And of course, these past few weeks, I have been meeting the patrons, trying to touch base with the people who have supported the show for a long time and the cool people. And speaking of the Kings of the Pattersons, I am here with one right now. Here is, uh, I'll give you a little drum roll. (laughs) Uh, it's Mike Shima. Oh, hey, Andy. Best drum roll ever. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, man. So, look, we have never talked before, right, uh, in audio form? Nope. I think we,
1: we've sent, like, a couple Facebook messages and I've said hi in your Discord, but but we've never talked. Yeah, so this is exciting. Yes. It's like I get Andy's voice in my ears. It's like my own personal show. This is awesome.
0: I used to do these videos. I was talking to Jacob Wick last week and we were talking about the videos I used to do to thank the Patreon supporters. I think I did, like, a Mike Shima shout-out, and that's where I did the research and found out that you actually like wrote some books about uh, hacking or something?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yep, that was the cyber security and the call out to, uh, what was it, Lawnmower Man 2, one of the uh, best hacking movies ever, or maybe actually not. Have you watched it? I-, I can't. I think I tried, because already I was like, Lawnmower Man 1, I was like, oh, these are pretty interesting special effects. And then 2 I was like, nope, can't do it. I- it. It follows the Highlander rule for me. Number 2 doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, but they're so funny. You know how Highlander 2 and the guy gets his like <laughs> neck run over by the train or something. It's so stupid. That movie's so stupid it's awesome.
1: Yes, I will definitely give you that. I've got way too many other stupid movies that I think are absolutely awesome, so um, I will not be one to judge by any means.
0: I mentioned this on last week's show. I forget, was it, was it with Jacob or was it with Star Runner when I was talking about Mortal Kombat the TV show and I ordered it and it arrived really fast. Like I was expecting that thing to show up in August uh, but it showed up like four days later. Man, I haven't actually watched it
1: DVD in ages, partially because Netflix and, like, all the other streaming services have kept me alive, especially when, like, I can go back and watch Beastmasters popping up and, like, every single Tremors movie ever made, so um, I can (laughs) basically put those on repeat and last another couple months of this, so I'll be good.
0: Yeah, that's true. Mortal Kombat, the show, is awesome. Obviously, there's bad movies. I'm going to do a video about this, I think, because I think people confuse B-movie with so bad it's good, with cheesy, you know, sometimes people use all those terms, like, interchangeably, Mm -hmm. so I would say like Highlander is a bad movie but funny you know what I mean and so like you know like a movie that's so bad it's good the whole point is that the filmmakers thought they were making one thing but it turns out another way you know like The Room or Samurai Cop or whatever and then becomes unintentionally really fun (laughs) but then sometimes people think like you know, like a movie like Killer Clowns or something like, oh, it's so bad. It's good. I'm like, no, no. Killer Clowns is a good movie. It's a B movie, but it's good because they had a goal. They made the thing that they wanted to make and it succeeded, right? Like it is what it is. And I think there's a few B movies like that that I'm starting to realize now. Wait a second. Like I like Killer Clowns unironically. Like I actually think it's good. Yeah. The makeup effects are great. The song's great. It's really inventive like every scene they're coming up with a new fun thing for the clowns to do that's kind of circus related like you know there's so many different kill scenes that are like you know like they're creative and it's cool so to me it's not a bad movie Or a so bad it's good. I think it's actually just a very successful B movie. And after watching, I'm like 16 episodes into season one of Mortal Kombat, the show. (laughs) It's sleazy. It's like late 90s, really unapologetically aimed at a male audience. So it's like all the girls are in bikinis for no reason. Mm -hmm. The way that they speak, every line is delivered like sexually. It's hilarious, but it's doing exactly what a Mortal Kombat show is supposed to do. Like, it's got a whole bunch of silly karate fight scenes, ridiculous characters, cheesy acting. It's got a techno soundtrack that plays through the whole show, even during dialogue. (laughs) Like, they'll be playing, like, just music in the background with, like, these (laughs) cheesy synth guitars and stuff. And uh, I've been really enjoying it, man. I think it's a fun show, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's
1: what's fun. When, like, go for sincerity rather than, like, where you don't set out to make, like, we're making a bad movie and, like, it's going to be bad and everybody's going to love it because it's bad. Yeah, that's Sharknado. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's Sharknado. Or, like, accidentally bad, like, Showgirls. Like, that that has come around to people loving it. But it's kind of like, that's just, just like... Wow, over the top camp, or something like that. I've never actually watched Showgirls. Oh, man. So you basically just have to see it because th- there's a great line. It's a Versace. It's just a great throwaway line. And that's like kind of sums up the entire, <laughs> most of the movie there. And there's a ridiculous pool scene with uh, Kyle McLaughlin. You like Twin Peaks or Dune or, or any of those? If You just got to see it too, so you can see, you know, a Kyle McLaughlin uh, movie.
0: Yeah, I like Twin Peaks, but I know like when my wife watched like Sex in the City and stuff, I mean, like oh, yeah. his presence didn't interest me enough to be like, hey, this is a good show. It was like, <laughs> a stupid program. Yeah. I want to I talk to you a bit about the fact that you wrote this damn book, but I feel like we should listen to a song first. I feel like I just talked through this whole thing. I was like, here, we're going to meet Mike Shima, and then I I just said meek. <laughs> I took up the f- this first part of meeting Mike Shima by talking about Mortal Kombat, the show. Something I'm going to be talking a lot more about in the coming weeks, but first, I want to listen to a cool song. I think I played a track from uh, John Dunder a few weeks ago, and this, this one popped up in my playlist and, uh, and I was like, this song's fucking awesome. And so I'm going to play another John Dunder track, because uh, I want to, because I really liked it. It's called Flight, and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. With the 66.6, it's Jose Arbello and Jacob Wick with the 4488. We met Jacob Wick last week. That was very exciting. And uh, Jose, hope you're doing well, buddy, because you're a cool guy. And now, listen to this track. By John Dunder, this is Flight. By John Dunder. That is a cool track and uh, it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's City Hunter with the 42, and in the 2666 Club, there's Hugh Hefna and Lucas Ceballos. And speaking of awesome Patreon supporters, I am here right now with one of the Kings of the Pattersons, Mike Shima. How's it going, buddy? It is going well, and um, I totally have to go watch all the Mortal Kombat TV series, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, man, there's only 22 episodes. Okay, I can handle that. I'm really trying to look in my heart, and and acknowledge that there's a lot of things I like unironically that are bad. And that's okay. Oh, yeah. When I watch this, I'm not going like, this is like a guilty pleasure. Like, I'm actually enjoying it. Like, it's making me laugh. The fight scenes are hilarious. The the stunt choreography is decent, but what's really funny is the inserts. So, like, every time there's a karate fight scene, it'll cut to these close-ups of the actual actors reacting or, like, striking a pose, and it just cuts right back to the stunt performers who are clearly not the same people. Sometimes even, like, their haircuts are different and stuff. And even the color temperature of the film is different. So, like, whenever it will cut back, to, like, a close-up of one of the actors. It actually, like, looks different, too. Like, they filmed it on a different day. <laughs>
1: That's so amazing. There's a bunch of old TV series I do like that, too, that I do actually love, even though they might not be great. Like, there was this old sci-fi one, Earth 2, that basically I only liked it because it had Tim Curry was in it briefly and Clancy Brown. And I'm like, awesome, I'll watch something therein. in. And the story actually was pretty good, but you could tell it was sort of like, here's our budget. We're going to ride around Southern
0: California
1: in a couple of, like... ATVs and um, say some things and that's it
0: I love a low budget and when I can uh, tell like where the money went in Mortal Kombat's case it's like the whole show is filmed on the same set Mm -hmm. so there's like a little town square set And, like, everything seems to happen in this little town square, and it's supposed to be outside, but the floor is clearly, like, mats so that they can fight. I mean, like, it's made to look like cement, but they're clearly, like, fighting mats or whatever, so, like, they can land when they're doing their stunts and stuff. And the exterior of the city is this 1998 CGI on a television budget, so it looks like a video game. And then there's, like, I think they filmed it at some, like, Chinese theme park or something in Florida, and so they always use the same temple. Like, there's always this temple that they use, this temple set, and then this archway and like like everything always seems to happen around these like three locations it's awesome
1: oh that's what's having a budget is like i love it that's like there's this it's actually canadian it's well, i can't remember how old it is but this sci-fi movie called cube it actually spawns some decent sequels too but it's literally like five canadian actors in a room then there's all these traps and stuff it's, it's actually really cool but talk about like having all you need is one set and a couple people and some decent dialogue to tell a story it's pretty fun so I will always sit down to something like that and actually enjoy it rather than just pretend like Ooh, I'm really cool because I think this everybody hates this movie but I like it
0: I interned with the director of that film <laughs> No, know what that's awesome well it was for film school it's like it's not a thing that matters his name's uh, Vincenzo Natalie I think it's spelled I always thought it was Natali but I think he pronounced it Natalie mm. he does like kind of horror like low budget horror but then he also directs a bunch of TV things like I think more recently he did like episodes of Hannibal and stuff oh okay and he was working on this documentary about Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam was filming a movie I think in Winnipeg. It wasn't The Man of La Mancha, right? No, it was it was okay. it was like a, it's a Terry Gilliam movie that like you'd never heard of, kind of a a low budget one in the middle of some other like higher profile Terry Gilliam projects. Right. It, it had a small cast. It was like about a little girl and I think Jeff Bridges was in it, but he was dead. Like his character just sort of shows up in like a few scenes, I think. So Vincenzo was filming this documentary and then that's when i was in college and and so i interned because i i had final cut pro and i had a computer at home i had a g5 tower or whatever and or g4 or whatever the fuck year it was so they wanted me to log footage and so that's i logged footage for a few months And i remember i think i insulted him because when i first met him we were talking about movies and i i was sort of talking about how like canadian movies kind of look cheap and Uh i specifically name checked this movie with Ryan Reynolds that was like an action film but it was clearly Canadian I forget what it was called it was like pay pay down or pay whatever and he's like oh yeah yeah the director the is a friend of mine like after I had kind of bashed the film and I'm like oh
1: <laughs> yeah oops
0: cool. And I was like, there goes my in into the fucking movie industry, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's ruined right there. Yeah. But look, man, I want to uh, I want to listen to another track, and uh, that's what we're gonna do. So I found uh, this cool artist. His name is King Steven, and this is one from the Midnight Ghost EP. Uh, I'm gonna say this song is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the Triple Six Club, The Mark of the Beast. And uh, maybe I'll name them after the song, just because we had so many new Triple Six donors this week. I think it's uh, probably time. Time that I did a little shout-out to the Donation of the Beast. So, uh, yeah, but in the meantime, let's listen to this uh, cool song. This is King Stephen with Midnight Ghost Party. <laughs> that was Midnight Ghost Party by King Stephen. And he makes cool tunes. I dig that one. It's got kind of like horror electronic sort of elements, but also that one kind of had like a video gamey vibe to it, too. Kind of reminds me of Castlevania. Actually, this whole EP kind of, for some reason, reminds me of Castlevania. But uh, listen, it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the Triple Six Club. So obviously, there's the uh, the new donors, as I mentioned uh, at the start of the show, Evan Allen, Christian Quello, and Schneedle Woods. And of course, there's Ivan. Thomas Berg Optimus Syme Akio Nakasone David Lavalli Jr. Electro Mechanic Jeremy L. Corp Cat Punk Night Ride FM Owen Magali Newmark Abashed Pudding Dobrotech Dalton Bell Replicant 69 Trippy Artificial Philip Back Luke Timmermans Alexandro Samaras Zayon B Tomasz Shimanek Poo in an Alleyway Till Wild Joe Ozone Ross Pentland Za Psycho And we always like to end it off with Polar Wildcat Studios with the 617. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Those, of course, were my awesome donation of the Beast Pals with the 666. And uh, if you want to support the show like these awesome people, go to patreon.com slash Simp. And I'm back here with a patron extraordinaire and author Mike Shima. I know you wanted to talk about the book,
1: but we're talking about movies. And I have to say, like, the one that I just saw recently on Shudder was one cut of the dead. And I won't get Give any spoilers, but by the time that movie ended, I literally wanted to like drop everything and go make my own movie. It's a zombie movie, and it's so like animated, dynamic, and it's there's some cool twists to it, and it's just like we're a small crew and we want to get something done. So I, I am absolutely inspired by that movie. I have to like just everybody I meet tell them to go watch it. One Cut of the Dead.
0: Like it's funny that you say that. Like you know talk about inspiration. Like I am more inspired by B cheap movies than I am by. Good Hollywood films because there is a sense of attainability. Like when I watch a cheap movie, it actually makes me want to go and make things because I'm like, "Hey, like I could do that." When I was young, I used to watch special effects in slow motion just to see how they were done, and like, mm-hmm. and it made me happy when I could tell. Like I was watching like Terminator One and watching in slow motion, and you know, like, when Arnold flies off the bike, and I feel like they just whipped a leather coat and pants down the road for like, like one shot. Like this <laughs> cheap-looking dummy, and like, but. I liked that stuff. When other people go on like, oh, like, that's cheap or whatever. I'm like, no, like, that's why I love Doctor Who. It's like, when I can tell, oh, I see, they glued a phone to a fucking box, and then, like, that's the prop. Like, it makes me excited to want to make things, because I'm like, I could do that. When I watch $300 million Marvel movie, I'm like, well, I can't, this is all fucking CGI. Like, I can't do any of this. Like, this, this is no fun. It's not even fun for me to imagine how I would accomplish it, because it's just so far, like, oh, I would need a team of, Two thousand animators from like you know eight different companies like working simultaneously you know like it's not fun to imagine yeah i think you know I, I grew
2: up
1: watching 80s movies and i you know so i've partially because of that i will always love practical effects to your point like you could watch some special effects from some horror movie tom savini does the the prosthetics or something and you can go and grab a box of cornflakes and start gluing them to your face and there's your like big scabby plague looking you know uh,
0: face and that you don't need <laughs> CGI. it's awesome it. you, you can do it we've talked about that a lot on this show i think pretty much everybody i talk to here just because we love nostalgia you know
1: it's, <laughs> it always comes up yeah it's
0: always practical over uh, over cgi but first before we continue i want to uh, i want to listen to some more music <laughs> i want to listen to this track this is uh, from Lau, uh, L-A-U. I think she released this track like over a month ago now, but it's a fun song. You know her. She uh, is one of uh, Nina's collaborators, and she uh, performs with Nina on stage when they do uh, live shows and stuff, and this is her solo outing, and it is uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's a star apart, Alex Selickson. Alex. Why do I keep doing I keep calling him Alex. Alex Seligson, Jimmy the Hutt, and Clint Dowling. And uh, this is stunning. <laughs> By Lau. And uh, that's a cool song, and that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters and the $25 Club. Of course, there's Honeybeard, Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, and Restless Nights. You guys are awesome, and I hope uh, you guys are all doing okay. And speaking of awesome Patreon supporters, I'm chatting to one right now, one of the kings of the Pattersons, Mike Shema. Oh, this is fun, Andy. Every time you play, like, I, I always hear an artist, and I'm like, oh, I
1: saw, like, Nina came through. I'm here in San Francisco, and uh, she played our local venue, DNA Lounge, and a whole bunch of other um Artists have come through there. Man, I just really want to hear some of that synthwave live because standing in an audience with a bunch of other cool people listening to music and watching performance, it's great, you know, hearing it on, you know, here on the podcast, you grab a bunch of stuff off Bandcamp, but I'm all about live performances.
0: Can you explain to me why everyone gets their cars broken into when they perform at the DNA Lounge? Man, it. <laughs>
1: I know that is horrible. So it's in this area of town where it's like kind of industrial, and so there's tons of street parking, and then every artist who comes through, the producer always posts the next day that's like, yep, my backpack with all my gear was stolen out of my car, and it is awful. So I personally apologize, and um, you can park at my place, and I will drive you to the venue next time anybody comes through. You- you've got it here. I-, I make that promise now. So
0: do you live in a nicer part of town than where the DNA Lounge is? Yeah, I live at, the, at one of the top of one of the hills. It's like maybe
1: two miles. SF isn't, isn't all that big, but it's about I think two miles away
0: from DNA. In in
1: other words, it's a little bit far to walk after like staying up till 1 a.m. and then having a pizza and, you know, too much gin to uh, walk home.
0: But I guess if you're all wasted, it'd be fun to go to the DNA lounge because then you could just roll down the hill. Absolutely. That's the way we do it. Well, hey, man, I'm all about (laughs) rolling down the hills and cities and getting crushed by cars like that guy in Highlander 2 got his fucking (laughs) neck run over. So, hey, man, talk to me about these books you've written. Because you, uh, you've written some books.
1: Books, books. Yeah, they're, they're so they're computer security books. So they're like kind of like, basically about hacking. They're like, how to go out and test things, like test a website, test a network, just to see, you know, find all these problems. And of course, the, the intention is to find them so you can fix them and prevent like, you know, the hackers and bad people from getting in. So it's kind of fun because it's a lot of creative problem solving. And I always wanted to write, but since I don't have like the skill to do anything proper in fiction, I thought, Eh, I'll try this and wrote some books on computer security and then quickly realized that there is no money to be made in writing books. So it was definitely became more of a, a labor of love and uh, just wanted to sort of share the ideas about it rather than think that it's like ooh super mystical and hackers are kind of cool and everything. So that was a little bit of the, my other like re- reason I wanted to do that. I don't know that anybody would read them now. When I was writing those or time out, this is the floppy drive and this is like one megabyte of RAM. like like so much RAM. So it doesn't age well.
0: Do any of the principles still stand or is this a product of its time book? Some of the principles still stand, but you could probably boil them down to,
1: here's the table of contents to think about, but the implementation and tools are stuff that, um, yeah, those don't change too much. But basically most of security boils down to turn on all of your automatic updates, keep your stuff patched and turn on your, the 2FA. Every time like some site wants to use like Google Authenticator, or offy or something like that. Just go ahead and use that and then nine times out of ten you don't have to worry too much. You know, other bad things can happen but that's the easy advice.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I got some advice for you. We're going to listen to some awesome music. How about that? (laughs) Uh, So look, I want to listen to this cool track from uh, Lacquer Glaze. Some more cool music I found this week on my uh, music quest and uh, it's brought to you, uh, hey, let's say it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, of course, Mads Baron Christensen and we will never forget the immortal Chrysalia Lane and uh, you're going to dig this one this is lacquer glaze with Italo Fitness And that was Italo Fitness by Lacquer Glaze. And remember, if you dig any of the music that I feature on Beyond Synth, don't forget, if you listen to the show on SoundCloud, click on the More Info button and you will see links to all the artists I feature on the show. And if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, whenever I do a social media post with the new episodes, I post all the links to the artists in the post so that you can go check them out. And I suggest that you do. And of course, later in the show, we'll be chatting with VHXRR Von Herzog and Rob Rowe but uh, in the meantime I'm still having a a fun little chat here with uh, Mike Shima one of my awesome uh, Patreon supporters and uh, we were just talking about the fact that you've like written these books about like you know like net safety and hacking and stuff like that so I mean like is that what you do like, is that your job? Are you a like a computer guy?
1: So I started out doing the fun stuff we call like, y- you'll love this, Andy. It was called penetration testing. Nice. Yeah. You show up someplace or go test a website. You basically try to break into it. So I got to do a lot of fun stuff. One of them is was a, a colleague and I went to um, a casino in SoCal and this we were hired by them. And this was when like the, all the um, jukeboxes, I was going to say, all the slot machines were being put on Wi-Fi. And so we went down to go test like how secure is the Wi-Fi between them. And so we've been basically got paid to hang out in a casino for a week and uh, play around on their network and mess with their like pay-per-view and in, in the room see what you could do could you like get your room for free or charge it to somebody else's room stuff like that so there are some fun aspects of, of this kind of computer security there's also a lot of things that are just like dead boring so it's unfortunately not all flooding games
0: did you find vulnerabilities did you like walk past a slot machine and go like press a button on your phone and then money started shooting out no,
1: no we, nothing, we didn't get anything that cool. The coolest thing we got was we could watch free movies and we could charge like all the room service to other rooms. But the important thing was we we did it and we didn't get caught because we were sent down there from their HQ. So the, the local casino wasn't told we were there and they didn't, you know, we didn't get detected until that Friday, basically when it's, it was time to check out. So, so that was a, a success on, on our part. So that was pretty fun.
0: Oh, so you were actually there
1: like it was sort of a covert mission. Yeah. Yeah. Covert mission, which is like two guys in their twenties hanging out at a casino for a week. It was like you know we would play some blackjack and whatnot, and every once in a while they'd shift out the dealers, and then like five minutes later, there's like, whoops, all my money's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they they definitely do <laughs> keep an eye on us for some
0: reason. You should have figured out how to hack the dealers, hack their brains. My brains, my, yeah, my, my math skills aren't good enough for that, unfortunately. That's what I would have done. They would have been like, we want you to come to the casino and check our, you know, see what what uh, Vulnerabilities are, and like, sure. And then you've got like a cell phone that like emits like a high pitched frequency. And so the second you press the button, he always deals a fucking like <laughs> ace of clubs or something, you know? That would be amazing. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I don't know what game you were playing. I don't even know how half the card games work. You're setting up the, the next
1: like sci fi. This is like a scanner sequel or something that you're setting up here. So here, here's your next B movie. I love it.
0: Yeah. got going to come up with a title now Hack, Casino. Got to combine the words. Brain What's a what's a blackjack? Black hack jack? Brain jack? Brain brain jack? There we go. Brain jack. There you go. Brain jack. The movie about two guys who go to a casino. And fucking win big by playing a high pitched noise next to the dealer's head. (laughs) During Christopher Lambert and uh, Michael Dudikoff. Trying to think of some other terrible actors. Oh, oh, yeah. I wonder, though, is I wonder if Christopher Lambert is actually good when he's in a French movie. Because I I would never be able to tell. I've seen him in some French. uh, Subway. He was
1: pretty good. And actually, I studied in France for a year in college. I I can't speak any French anymore. But I watched a bunch of French movies. And one of the first things I asked somebody when I was there is, like, is Christopher Lambert's, like, what is that Accent and it was, oh, it's actually just a legit French accent. I thought it was like something weird or affected or something like that. But
0: he's pretty good. See, the question I would have asked them is, is he a good actor? Because it's like I see him in a bunch of American (laughs) films where he, like, he's not great. It could just be because he doesn't like it's 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 the language thing mm-hmm. i mean also he's in a bunch of cheesy films but i mean i don't know i i look i want to listen to a song and then we'll <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll talk more about christopher lambert let's get some synthwave in our ears yeah good call yeah so this is a cool track from uh, frank redux from the album summer break and uh it's brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters in the 25 dollar club of course there's ken Giroux, gregorio franco blake peterson Martin, Lyerbee, and Kempson—you guys are all awesome, and I hope you dig this song by Frank Redux. This is Start. And that was Start by Frank Redux from the album Summer Break. And that's a cool song, and it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Of course, there's Ashley Keegan with the 2049. Don't forget to check out Forged in Neon. And uh, I should have said that for Martin Larby as well. Don't forget to check out Patrick Fakeman, pfsynth.com for some good articles. He did put out that interview we talked about a few weeks ago with Brad Feidel, the guy who did the music for uh, the Terminator movies. I think it is actually pronounced Fidel, although I think some people say fetal, but I think it is Fidel, but hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, uh, and also thanks to Andy's Laugh with the 20. You guys are all cool. And I'm back here with one of the kings of the Pattersons, Mike Shima, hacker extraordinaire. I want to have some good response to that, like Andy Last.
1: Something extraordinary? I, what, you're extraordinary in, in all kinds of things. I don't. What, what, what would you be most extraordinary in?
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there we go Being distracted, procrastination uh, Okay Maybe the ability to talk to strangers I mean, I guess that's a skill, right? That's definitely a skill But at the same time, I don't do it well in person Like, I'm a, I'm a good phone talker But in real life, I'm not one of those people who, like, walks up to people and, Oh, hey, uh, can you tell me how to get to fucking uh, 4th Street? Oh, that's nice Oh, you live around here? Like, I can't do that Like, I, I just, I will find my way and get lost Before I have to actually fucking talk to another person <laughs>
1: No, I hear you on that one. But I do have to add that, you know, I all, I love the, the podcast. I think the, you are definitely a podcaster extraordinaire, both in just the sense of how funny and random everything is that, that comes across in all the episodes. And um, I, I definitely live for that laugh. Like, I, I smile every time because you, you're clearly having fun. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I bet you, though, I don't know if you know too much about chaos theory, but I bet you if someone did some sort of equation, they would see that there's actually nothing random about this show at all. It's like there's a GoldenEye reference every, uh, you know, if you just sandwiched all the shows together, it would be like, <laughs> there's a GoldenEye reference every 73 minutes. Uh, he'll bring up Mortal Kombat every whatever. Like, I bet you there is a math equation that you could break this down. and That would be such an awesome reveal. Episode, like, 666 comes out, and you reveal yourself
1: as, like, the ancient prince of darkness, and you're bringing back Mortal Kombat to the Earth or something. That would be awesome.
0: What I would like is to complete, now that I've watched a bunch of episodes of Mortal Kombat Conquest, the show ends on a cliffhanger, which is also kind of what makes it amazing, because it's all it's it's very similar to, like, the ending of ALF, where the <laughs> final episode is, like, a real downer, and then the show ends, and then gets cancelled, right? So, in ALF's case, he literally mm-hmm. gets taken by the government, and then the show is over, right? Because they didn't make any more episodes. I think there's some, like, follow-up made-for-TV, like, or straight-to-video thing, but it's not the same as the show. Like, it's not the same format as the television show. And in Mortal Kombat Conquest, the final episode is everybody dies. Shao Kahn fights Raiden, but then tricks Raiden into crossing over into Outworld, so Raiden loses his powers. Then he beats Raiden, imprisons him, and then kills everybody else. And then the show ends with, like, Shao Kahn laughing, and it just shows Kung Lao's medallion on the ground. And then, like, the show's over. And then presumably, season two would have had some Deus Ex Machina fucking, you know, just, oh, the Elder Gods Stepped in and saved everybody, but since they never made season two, it l- literally is just this one season arc where everybody dies at the end. <laughs> like, that's how the show ends. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no totally that's why at least like quantum leap that was a series that actually had a they they were able to to end it and actually had a really good ending too i i I like that one
0: it's just like a coincidence that the final episode of quantum leap kind of has a weird sense of finality to it because he was like didn't he leap but he leaped into another world where people from other stories were playing like different characters and then they're like sort of questioning whether or not it's like god that like put him into the machine or where
1: yeah he's pick. in the bar and yeah exactly and it does there, there definitely is a sadness because i can't remember what the final like subtitles are on screen but it's something the like-
0: final thing it's literally it's the fucking simpsons episode where poochie goes back to his home planet it's that it like it cuts <laughs> yes. to a black screen and goes like sam beckett never made it home the end and never made
1: it home exactly yeah
0: i mean it's <laughs> it's funny when you think about it like because the ending it almost feels like had it just ended it would have been like okay that was a neat ending like he fades but you never see where he's gonna fade to, but then they just had to tag on for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he never made it home. Like, thanks, guys. Like, see, I love the, that that bleakness. That's why, I, yeah,
1: I already mentioned one zombie movie. That's why I love like so many zombie movies, because there, there is a depth bleakness at the end. And I think Quantum Leap had had that nice little bit of, oh, not not quite. So
0: that's another one, man. Quantum Leap as a concept. Why that show has never been rebooted is crazy. I could understand budget wise because every episode takes place in different times so you've got a lot of yeah, a good point. different sets and costumes and things like, like I, I could see that but the concept is great and I think you could do what they never did with the show only rarely was really play up the science fiction aspect because they didn't really do it, right? Like, he's always just traveling to different time periods in Earth and the only actual science fiction part of the show is the start of the show where the lights glow all, you know, all white and then he, like, shines into a person Yeah, and then at the end when he disappears out of them but, like, you know, like, you could do anything with that show. Like, they could have had episodes that took place in the future and I think they had a few but it's still not like, they didn't dwell on the sci-fi part. It was like, he'd go to the future and he'd be in, like, a room in, like, the teleporting room or like, isn't it, wasn't there an episode where he goes to the future and he actually leaps and makes it home, but then Al becomes a real person? Or something, and so he he has to go back into the leaping machine to save Al, and then ends up getting stuck in the loop again and still
1: stuck. Yeah, no, you're totally right because they also had you know they had the evil leaper, so they had these other like you know they were starting to touch on this cool like sort of darker dystopian type of future of the world that would have been really at least for me that would have been kind of fun to see and explore.
0: Yeah, well, don't worry, buddy, because we're living it. Yay!
1: (laughs) 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 That's right. I can't do anything but just laugh inside that would be yeah, yeah, you called it. <laughs> uh,
0: I would fucking kill the leap right now. <laughs> It'd be fucking cool. Yeah, that's right. The evil leaper was the stuff that that was most interesting to me because that's when the show was at its most like sci-fi. Like, oh, there's like an evil chick who fucking jumped into the leaping machine, and like, that's right. She was a woman, right? Because it, yeah. it made no sense. Because he would teleport into women's bodies. Yeah. But then, since she was a lady, she only teleported into other women's bodies, like just to establish. That like she was a villainous lady, so because I don't think she ever teleported into a dude. Yeah, I can't remember. I know that there was like the big reveal when they finally touched, like they could
1: see each other's like how they really looked. But I can't remember if she jumped into a dude or
0: not. I'll have to look it up. All of these answers can be found on the yeah. on the internet. It's just like I'm too lazy to type <laughs> in quantum. <laughs> I know you're going to call me out because you'll you'll hear me type it on my laptop, so I don't want to get caught. I'm trying (laughs) to do it all my memory. Well, I have a mechanical keyboard, so (laughs) I can't uh, get away with anything. Whenever I type, it sounds like this. Anyway, uh, look, I want to listen to another track. It's another strack. Fuck! I want to listen to another song, and then maybe we can wind uh, down this part. I want to listen to this track by Strike Eagle which, of course, is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, well, we got Rachel Buchelman with a 1985, and Murat with a 1984, and with the 1986, it's Ethan Bobson Dugnut Hennings, a.k.a. the real Sonny Crockett. And uh, hope you enjoy the song I'm about to play. This is Strike Eagle with It's Always Been You. was It's Always Been You by Strike Eagle. That is a cool song. I heard a lot of awesome music this week. I was going through and doing a music quest and uh, I found lots of awesome stuff and that uh, track by Strike Eagle is pretty cool. And it is uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $15 Club. There's Prophet of Jupiter, Six Mill, Gus Velichek, Hampus ML, and Chatterack. And uh, speaking of Patreon, I'm here with uh, one of the Kings of the Pattersons, Mike Shima, Hacker Extraordinaire, (laughs) Resident of San Fran. Hello, hello, Mr. Andy Last. Yeah, man. Hearing you going on a music quest totally makes me
1: think like, oh, what character did you roll up? I want to know like what D&D game you're playing that is the music
0: quest. I see what you're doing. (laughs) Sneaky, sneaky. Because I I talked about this on Discord. Yeah. We want to uh, set up a Beyond Synth uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, which is what D&D is short for. But I have some plans of my own. And I want to see how well that they fit, because it would be the family show, by the way, so it would be uh, Marco, Mike, and Florence, and myself, and of course, uh, Dungeon Master, and... I want to produce something that sounds more akin to a radio play than people actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I know there's other D and D podcasts where they do sound design and stuff like that, but they still very much sound like people playing D and D. And so this thing I have in my head, I don't even know if it's possible, and it might be very ambitious. But essentially, I want to play a D and D match where we're you know we have our characters and stuff, but I edit it so that it sounds like a radio play, Uh, and that's my plan.
1: Uh, You totally have to do this. Because listening to the last family show and the trivia, just the way everybody starts talking to each other, that's basically an adventuring party right there. So I I think you've got 80% of it already set up. Go for it.
0: I think it'll be a fun thing. Mm -hmm. That's the plan, man. It's a good plan. I mean... Yeah, to say that's the plan, I mean, that's the idea of a plan, (laughs) because there is no plan, so I can't say that's the plan, man, when there isn't one. The plan is to have a plan. That's my plan, is to have one, and then we'll go from there. But look, listen, you're a very generous guy. Obviously, uh, I'm very appreciative of your support uh, means a lot to me, and uh, it's awesome. People like you who uh, keep uh, the lights on in the Beyond Synth Studio. It is an awesome studio, producing an awesome
1: podcast. Andy, please keep doing it. I love it.
0: Well, thanks, dude. And it's uh, it's it's nice to chat with you, and uh, keep on being a cool guy and uh, hacking the casino. <laughs>
1: This was fun. Thank you again, and um, yeah, shout out to Ashley too. I just want to say hi to her, and um, shout out to all the other Patreons. You know, keep supporting Andy, and let's hear some more synthwave.
0: See, I like the sound of that.
1: All, all my energy suddenly just died here at the end. I'm
0: like, no, you hang
1: up first. I don't. Yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me making this show. If everyone heard like the stuff that's on like the editing room, the editing room floor, you know, um, it is a lot of like this. No, you hang up business. That I. <laughs> like, I'm back in high school again, and everybody I talk to on this show is a. Good girl i have a crush on oh that's amazing <laughs> yeah
1: well thank you again andy this was really awesome and uh, yeah i'm going to just keep on listening keep on supporting because i love it
0: that was Mike Shima, patron extraordinaire. You could say that uh, my Patreon supporters are kind of like producers of this show. Executive producers. I think that's correct. Executive producers, they they fund things. But like the producer producer is still the guy that does the creative stuff. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, look, let's listen to uh, one more track, and then we will go chat with Von Herzog and Rob Bro. So here's a cool one from an artist called The Crow. You know, I love The Crow, right? That movie. Uh, But uh, listen, this guy, The Crow, is pretty cool too. And uh, I think you'll dig this track. This is Binary Language by The Crow. That was The Crow with Binary Language. That's a cool track, man. They've all been cool tracks. I gotta find a new word. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you guys are enjoying the program. Now, let's go chat with Von Herzog and Rob Rowe. All right, well, I am here right now with, with two people actually right off the bat how do you say this because it's v v h x r r so like what how do you actually say it out loud you you did it perfect is that it yeah you did it v h x r r you heard it all right (laughs) (laughs) no i just didn't know i didn't (laughs) know if it was like times or like if the x represented an and or yeah no we've we've been asked that a lot yeah Uh, unimaginative in in the name department all right no, it's fine i just i just want to make sure i was getting it correct We're open to any way you want to say it. Perfect. Well, I'll say it the correct way, which is V-H-X-R-R, which, of course, stands for Von Herzog and Rob Rowe, who are my guests today. So, hi. Hi. Hi there. This is, of course, this is sort of a collaboration uh, between the two of you. Now, Rob, I'm meeting for the first time. So, hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And uh, Von Herzog, of course, you have been on the show before. Kent, you've just informed me it was five years ago.
3: Yeah, November 2015 the world was a different place
0: yeah it's a lot better now <laughs> yeah so i guess uh, i'm just trying to see what we tackle first well we will uh, do a quick catch up here with kent so first of all it's been five years what have you been doing do you still run that business with your wife (laughs) I do
3: it's been slow since COVID hit but yeah since then a lot has happened I have a child now I have a son named Sagan he is going to be three in September he's growing up super fast and he's awesome so that has kind of slowed some of my music production schedule sure uh i remember when i was on the show last i was talking about like hey yeah you know like i'm hoping to have a you know like a compilation of stuff out by the next year and like uh no things change quick
0: well still (laughs) it's a fun time My, my daughter is well she'll be four shortly but that's that's a fun age I'll say, I'll say this. Don't let your son play Fortnite. Because <laughs> uh, I made that mistake with mine, and it's a big pain in the ass.
3: Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't know if this is... Uh hot take or not but like we don't let him have devices so he hasn't used any touch screens or anything and we're just trying to raise him old school you know what i mean like the way i grew up i didn't have a device in my hand at all times so we'll see how it goes well
0: it's a good idea i mean like i was excited to teach my son how to play games Mm -hmm. that was back when i think we had the wii u at the time and so like i was playing mario with him and i was like oh this is fun and uh, i'm gonna teach him how to play games and it's gonna be great and now it's literally fortnite for 12 hours straight like that's all he does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy.
3: Well, and I'll be honest, like, I know nothing of new video games. The The video game systems I have are, like, the Neo Geo X and the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. So, like i have my old school childhood stuff hooked up and not much else neo geo x it's like neo geo uh mini essentially like it's got i don't know 50 60 games on it but it comes with like the full-size controllers
0: right 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 okay i thought you had some fucking wacky thing i was like oh you some rich kid eh oh no nah, fucking nah. neo geo <laughs> well it's always weird when you know you uh everyone else just had you know it was either a super nintendo or a sega and then there's that one fucking rich kid that had the jaguar that thought he was so fucking cool but there was only like two good games for him. It. I
3: had a Jaguar, too, but in all fairness, they
0: were on clearance Ooh, for 10 bucks. You didn't have to be a rich kid. <laughs>
3: Fuck, I'm done talking to you. Oh, with my 64-bit Atari <laughs> system. <laughs> <laughs> the only good game for that was Alien vs. Predator.
0: Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> when I said it had two good games, I didn't know the other one. I only knew the Alien vs. Predator. There must be another good game, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> Well I'm I'm glad you're well And it's nice to hear from you again after all these years I mean we have chatted online But we haven't actually like spoken with our voices I think I, I invited you to come on when I did the fucking 200th anniversary But we couldn't work out the schedule or, or you bailed or something
3: Yeah we had it scheduled and then I had a work thing pop up And then when I checked back in with you Like you were already on to the next thing Which I apologize for, I'm sorry
0: That's okay It was like five episodes. It was going to be like a fucking 12-hour show. Anyways, now, (laughs) Rob. Yes. How's it going? It's going great. So... I find your name is sort of like a tongue twister for me. I find it I don't know why it's like tricky to say. Hm. I've never
4: had any trouble with it. <laughs> well the only trouble I've had is being mistaken for Rob Lowe.
0: <laughs> well it sounds like I don't know what when I say it I feel like I, I stumble over like the second R. I don't know why. Like I was sort of like saying it, i I was like practicing. I'm like, don't fuck this up. I don't know why. <laughs> well
3: because it sounds like you're mispronouncing Rob Lowe. It's like a tongue twister, it's like Rob Rowe. Yeah, exactly. It sounds
0: like the sound that Scooby Doo makes. Ro Row. Exactly. Yes. I've heard that before too. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> So the, <laughs> I'm not a very original guy. So, anyways, uh, you were actually uh, you were in this band in the '90s, which you uh, had some cool songs, and that was called uh, Cause and Effect. Is that correct?
4: That is correct. And that band was actually not just 90s. We were in the aughts and we've only sort of recently called it quit. So we've been uh, releasing stuff for a long time.
0: It's always tricky when that happens. Like, I know uh, with lots of other bands too, like, I'll talk about like AHA or something and be like, oh, that band from the 80s. And like, they were still making tunes. Like, they had some songs in like the 2000s that I dug. It's just, you know, when like when people are sort of in the public eye or whatever and like everyone sort of focuses on a specific time. Oh, of course. I guess it's me sort of apologizing. No,
4: no. The 90s was definitely the peak um, in a lot of ways. My uh, bank account and uh, (laughs) my mental state.
0: You know, lots of things. I I don't really do much research on this program. (laughs) I I did just like a tiny amount. I was sort of like reading a few things real quick. So like the first album... That you put out, was it like you originally made it and then when you got on like a bigger label, like re-released it, or what was the deal with that?
4: Uh, what happened was we we got signed to a very tiny independent label in 1990 in uh, Sacramento, California. And by label, I mean one guy in his like home office. And that was actually released and sold about maybe 50,000 copies independently. Strangely, it was distributed by Nasty Mix Records, which was then known only as a rap label like for some mix a lot and a um, couple of other artists, but they were trying to expand. So they took on the distribution of that, but that deal ended up falling through because they failed to pay our label for the, the the units that they sold so um got out of the contract and then uh we were picked up by a bmg label called src which was a sub label of zoo entertainment and the album was repackaged and sort of resequenced, and there were a couple of remixes thrown on it and then it was re-released um, the first one was self-titled and it was re-released under the name another minute
0: the cover for that one is awesome you're very pretty on the cover <laughs> yeah that artwork
4: we didn't actually see until it was already on the way to like Tower Records. Nice. And it's always been a bone of contention. If you look at our original release, like the artwork is beautiful and it's dark and it's not just a couple of pretty guys on the on the front cover. <laughs> but yeah, I was a very very pretty girl. <laughs> Another thing that has changed since then. <laughs>
0: i'm in my childhood home and i'm going through like old photo albums and stuff and I'm, I'm like trying to clean up all these old files and all i do now is just look at my hair like in all these old pictures and go like look at that hair man it was like nice and thick and and i wasted it i had the worst hair what are you complaining about it's thinning and so like whenever i look at old pictures you know and i just look at all the potential that mm-hmm. was wasted and I now <laughs> i'm like sitting there like ah fuck man like every time i'm like parting it to the side going look at this shit it's like fucking going away i'm gonna be a weird looking bald guy i'll tell Well, look, how about this? Let's get this started and listen to some music, and then we'll keep talking. It's a good uh, collaboration you guys have done. They're all really great tracks. I really like the sound of it. And we are going to listen to this track. This one's called Calm Down Lover by VHXRR. That was VHXRR, the collaboration of Von Herzog and Rob Rowe with the track Calm Down Lover. And I'm here right now with the two of them, Kent and Rob. And that was a cool track. And we've just been talking about sort of Rob's history, um, which I'd like to talk a bit more about, but maybe we can talk a bit about how you guys met and how this whole thing started. I'll let you take that, Kent.
3: Sure. So essentially, um, I was like working in the office coding a website one night and i was listening to uh like an 80s mix of music on google play music you know it was like duran duran depeche mode information society and then at the bottom it had like similar acts and i recognized everybody but the name cause and effect so i clicked on it and i listened to the album and i like immediately fell in love and that was another minute it was fucking perfect so between january and june of 2016 i probably listened to it between 250 and 300 times like the album like i'm very musically monogamous if i find something i like i just listen to it on repeat and just keep drilling it in my head so i had uh reached out to the information society guys and i was in the process of writing a song for them and i was feeling good about like where things were musically so i had been listening to so much cause and effect I figured like, you know what, fuck it I'm just going to reach out to him and see if maybe, you know, he wants to make music so I just sent him like a direct message on Twitter, I slid in them DMs and uh, I was like, sup man wanna make some music? Is that how you met your wife? (laughs) Slid in her DMs? No, I slid in her
0: AOL instant messenger Oh, yeah, that's right. You're an old man. Are you 40 yet? I'm 41 now, yeah. Oh, shit. See, last time I talked to you, I thought we were two years different, but that makes us three, unless I caught you on the cusp of you were just about to have your birthday. I just turned 41 in May. How's that feel? You old bastard.
3: Well, 2020 (laughs) has not been great. What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, looking at it. (laughs) Looking at it from, like, May of me turning 40, so, like, May 2019 to may 2020 it has been like an unrelenting shit show yes the one bright spot has been releasing this album it's been wonderful outside of that not a lot of great stuff
0: yes i agree that's why i try and keep it like positive on the show but uh in my real life i'm just in a constant state of fucking anxiety and like shaking all over the place how are you doing rob (laughs) I'm hanging in there,
4: you know the world is burning, and I've been out of my house maybe uh, five times in the last three and a half months, but uh I shouldn't complain because I have a roof over my head, and for now I have food and a job, so
0: you know, okay, can I ask you a question because I was watching the video for you think you know her? Wondering if this is sort of the same situation that happened with sort of like the cover art of the thing. Like how how involved were you guys in the concept and the production of that video? We had absolutely no say in that whatsoever. Oh, okay, because I didn't I didn't want to come across as disrespectful, but it's like the sound of that, you know, particular album, I mean, there's a lot of it's it's sort of in the same kind of like wheelhouse that sort of like acts like depeche mode and stuff. And when I was watching that video I was just thinking, like, is this the label trying to alert the audience to, like, that these guys are kind of like Depeche Mode, because it's like a very Depeche Modey video, like the the grainy black and white, and the way you guys look, and the sort of, like, glamorous lady, and there's, like, a black and white shot with a red rose in it.
4: Yes, it has a certain aesthetic. I I, I don't know how much of that was conscious. That video was made here in seattle where i live now but at the time i lived in california and the the label owner the guy in his home office grew up up here in uh, tacoma and he had a bunch of connections hence the nasty mix connection also and they found somebody some director who was like i can make you a video on film for you know five grand which is like incredibly cheap, cheap and that's all i know about it <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Next thing you know, we're looking at the video. <laughs> yeah. Next thing I know, we drive up, I walk around, I look a little pouty, I walk through some weird warehouse with a bunch of like gauze hanging from the ceiling, and uh and then here we are. Yeah. And you're really like making out with that actress. Oh, she was really nice. She was such a nice person. She was also about uh two feet taller than I am. So uh
0: there's an there's an apple
4: box and yeah. in, in that
0: scene. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of filmmaking. Well, she, like she was taller than everybody because there's a yeah. shot where she's walking with the other two guys, like kind of arm in arm. I'm like, that's a tall lady. To thank her for doing the video, once we got back to Sacramento, um, I took her out to
4: dinner. As we were walking into the restaurant, I thought, oh, I'm that guy that everyone looks at and goes, why is she with him?
0: <laughs> you know what? I've been trying to. I do have that. That's one of my biases, like my my unconscious biases. And I've noticed it in myself, and I still can't—I'm that guy that every time I look at a couple, if I feel like there's something mismatched about them, Mm -hmm. I do that instinctively. And the biggest one is the dude with the babe. Like, whenever there's this woman who's just, like, this is gorgeous lady and it's just, like, this guy... Now, mind you, you are like, a pretty dude back then, right? So, like, I don't think I would have had that much of an issue. But, uh, you know sometimes <laughs> where you see these kind of dudes who are just, like... You're just like, what the fuck? And then I, I, my my mind just starts racing as to all the reasons why. Like, what is this? Is just money? It's money, isn't it? You know, like, I start I'm getting upset even though I don't know these people. Uh, I'll never see them again. <laughs> but it all of a sudden becomes my problem. Well, I'll tell you what. Yes. I don't know if it's money because I remember when I
3: was, like like 16 or 17 and i was working in the mall at like kb toys me and my friends would stand out front and look at girls in the summertime because it's summertime and you know that's what you do at the mall yeah and all the time we'd be like what is she doing with him something's not computing right sure enough and i doubt the high school kid had money you know what i'm saying i think i don't know maybe he's just nice or he listened or something who knows
0: yeah no that's not it it's it's gotta be something else (laughs) can't be that it can't be a good person fuck that (laughs)
4: Or maybe it's not even a romantic thing. Maybe she was just in his shitty video. (laughs) (laughs) But when you talk about the height disparity, that makes me think of, like,
3: Sylvester Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, but it's the same thing if there's fucking Apple boxes. I mean, like, that's what it's all about. I know, but my point is, like, I can understand why they'd be a couple, because, like... Both in Rocky Four, both like at the height of their careers, but then like the height disparity is so glaring between them. She's like six four, and he's like five four on a good day.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just... Be- <laughs> Sorry, this only goes to a dirty place. Let's <laughs> listen to another song, and then we- <laughs> now, now you're making my brain do the the bad work. Sorry. So let's listen to another track, and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking. So this was uh, another one I dug. I mean, I dug them all, so I don't know why I have to start every. <laughs> intro like that. They're all very good songs. Uh, I want to listen to this track. This one's called A Little Bit Sweeter by VHXRR. R A Little Bit Sweeter by v- I- B- fuck me by VHXRR, R. see even that's hard to say, uh, Von Herzog and Rob Rowe. <laughs> so I looked at the brief sort of press release, this is the, the amount of research I did, I watched the video for You Think You Know Her, actually to be honest with you, I listened to the whole album, and then I uh, I saw the press release from Lakeshore Records, and it was like, uh, the album is inspired by Carl Sagan, so now I gotta ask about that, Okay, and that's my question.
3: I have to answer in the form of a question? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) At that point in time, when I was writing a lot of the music for this, I was really into Carl Sagan's cosmos. Just, you know, like the grandness of the universe and how big it is and the space and. How we're all made of star stuff and all that cool stuff. And uh, episode 11 of Cosmos was called The Persistence of Memory. And it was about memory as both like being handed down genetically, like via our DNA through evolution. And also as humans being like the only species who are able to record memory like outside of their bodies. Like a rabbit can't write down what it remembers. You know what I mean? But people can. So it makes us unique. And uh, I like that concept. And I like the idea that you can't outrun your influences. You know, we are creatures of our experiences. So as you go through life and you listen to different music and you see different movies, like when you go to create something, a little bit of all of that is going to be in it. Like you can't avoid it. Did that make sense? Yeah. No, I'm just absorbing all this information. I rambled for a while and it was dead silent. So I wasn't sure if we hung up or if
4: I was just like... (laughs) I blacked out. How long was I talking? <laughs> it's 2021 now and everything's okay.
0: Oh, fucking thank Christ. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry.
4: Um, yeah, that would be great if it was 2021. <laughs> Jesus. Even at night,
1: the city, like the brain, is busy assimilating and distributing information. Information keeps it alive and provides the tools to adapt to
2: changing conditions. The long human journey From genes to brains to books.
1: Information itself evolves. Nurtured by open communication and free inquiry. Well, honestly,
3: I think the one song that really kind of like encapsulated the concept of the album is the sun,
4: the stars, the shine. Because I think that that plays into like the whole idea of all of it. A lot of this stuff... Working out the way it did I just think it just was meant to be It's very serendipitous Because (laughs) Kent was throwing around that that title for the EP for a while But it took him a while to tell me what it actually meant So the fact that we've we've got a song that is right on, on the theme It's pretty amazing
0: So you mean when you guys first started the collaboration You were just writing just whatever lyrics And it just so happened that it linked up with Kent's idea? Yeah I don't consciously write lyrics When
4: I write a song I improvise, something, some phrase or some word comes out and then I build the song around that and I have no idea what the song is about until, you know, I'm halfway finished with it. It also means I have absolutely no responsibility for what happens. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't me, it was the spirits. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so from your perspective, how did this all, so you get this weird DM from this goof, like you just like, who's this clown? Like, did you have to do some research to see if you could trust this Von Herzog character? I mean.
4: <laughs> yeah, to make sure I wasn't being
0: catfished or something. <laughs> <laughs> Why does this guy look like that lady who was in my music video?
4: Can't <laughs> <laughs> you are tall, right? I am tall. I'm six four. Anyway, when um when I got the message about uh, collaborating, you know, I'm always I've done a few collaborations, like some one offs, and I'm always willing to like give something a try if I if I like the music and you know if I like the person. But I always say like I will I will attempt. To write something to, to what you send me. Cause it doesn't always work out. Sometimes things don't click. And at the time that Kent wrote to me, I was in a terrible stage of, of writer's block. I don't think I had actually finished anything in probably a year and a half. One of those things that I hadn't finished in a year and a half was Calm Down Lover, and that was the first song that we worked on. And it wasn't intentional that I I was trying to finish that song. I was just improvising to the, the the track, and at some point, I just started singing this thing that I hadn't even like listened to in um, maybe like two three years, and it fit perfectly. So then I was able to. Take this snippet that I'd written, you know, a few years before, and and actually finish it, and finally break my uh, writer's block.
0: Cool. So then that that worked out in your favor for like working on other stuff. Was that like the cork that needed to be uh, fucking? Yeah, I've since been
4: writing lots of stuff for uh, i have another i have a side project called white weights which is sort of my solo project and i've been writing stuff for that and then that kent came back and he was like listen we've done this song i love it it worked out great let's do an ep and i was like oh man this pushy motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> push 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 push, push. <laughs> but I always have that fear I, I think most artists have this fear it's like you create something and immediately after you're finished it with it you the fear that you'll never be able to pull that off again comes in that's every single song ever <laughs> right yeah and so when uh, when he came back and said like let's do an EP you know my first thought is like I, I don't I don't know if I'll be able to pull that off I mean this one worked out great but I don't know if I have it in me. You know, all the stupid voices in your head. And so he sent me a bunch more tracks, and I picked a few that I really liked. And, I mean, like, honestly, the writing process on these four songs went really quickly for me. There there are times where I'll spend weeks redoing a verse over and over, and these went pretty fast.
0: And now you mentioned your solo act, White Waits. And I thought maybe just because, I I, I mean, uh, Kent, I haven't talked to you in a few years, and I thought I'd play like a Von Herzog track, and I thought we'd also play a track uh, from White Weights. This was, and I listened to this album. This was the one you put out in 2013. Right. This is a track I, I dug. This one's kind of more musically- uh, a more musically kind of like upbeat track from the album. Maybe we can talk a bit about it after we listen to it. Uh this was the one called The Way Back which uh which I really liked and uh, and I want to listen to that right now, man. So this is The Way Back by White Waits. Good choice. was White Weights with The Way Back, and that is Rob bro's solo project. I'm here with Rob bro and uh, von Herzog right now. But maybe, Rob, you could uh, talk a bit about this album. Because, I i mean, I don't i do not do much research, as I said. I just listen to it. But um, I can tell just from listening that this one seemed like a really personal album. And, and I mean, like, even when I, I'm really terrible at, at, like, absorbing the meanings of songs, like, it's, it's not one of my skills, but definitely tracks like, you know, Ventolin, for example. Like, I think that was sort of pretty clear what that one was about. And so I got the sort of vibe that this whole album was kind of like a personal thing for you
4: for sure even the name whiteweights comes from the name of a street that i lived on i grew up in england until i was 9 and my earliest memory is from a house that was on this street called White Weights in England. So I thought, other than cause and effect, I'd never I'd never done a solo project before, I'd never worked with other people before. And so I thought I was really kind of going back to the beginning. So I chose the name White Weights because that was the beginning of, you know, my existence in, in my brain, because that's my earliest memory. And so yeah, everything is on that album is very personal. I mean, most of my songwriting is personal because it comes from personal experience, except for when you know, maybe I make up a scenario in my head to create a story for the, the song. Ventilin's obviously a, a, a heavy song. Um, it was written right after the death of Sean Rowley, who was the other founding member of the first version of Cause and Effect. And it took a very long time to actually want to put that out. I wrote it recorded a demo and then just kind of put it away and didn't think I would ever actually release it. But then when putting together the White Waits album, I was going through some old demos and I heard that and I thought, you know, maybe it's time, like enough time has passed, enough healing has happened, that it's okay to put it out now.
0: Like, is this still a project that you're working on?
4: Yeah, I'm always writing. And whatever I'm writing will will go on the next White Weights release, unless it fits something that Kent and I are doing, and then maybe they they could uh, turn into a XRR song. God, that's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> so catchy. So fucking catchy.
0: And Kent, I think I just listened to... I don't know if you sent me the link to this. This was earlier this year. You put out... There was a video game soundtrack. Yeah, Neon Aileron. Yeah. There was a track on there I wanted to listen to. We'll listen to it in a few minutes. But I believe it was a track you made that somebody sang on, but then you made, like, sort of an instrumental version of it because it was, like, the player select screen. Oh, yeah. The Coast is Clear. Yeah. Yeah. I dug that version. Like, I liked the like the video game version of it. Yeah, nice. Like, did you just put the, the soundtrack out this year or did it release simultaneously? Neon Aileron is a
3: game that, again, kind of, like, all of my musical projects started in like 2015, 2016, and they're still only like coming out now. So like what Neon Aileron was is my buddy Vince, who I've known since high school. We went to different high schools, but we've known each other since that age. He approached me a couple of years ago because he used to live out in Pittsburgh. So driving across Pennsylvania, he listened to a lot of my Von Herzog stuff. So he called me one night and he was like, hey man, I have an idea. I want to run it by you. He was like, what if we do a video game side scrolling shooter, you know, all pixelated, make it look like it's like 16 bit and uh, you do the soundtrack for it. And the next idea in it was then to have, like, the enemies spawn to the beat of the music. So we tried to have where the enemies spawn on the screen be based both off of, like, the timing of the song and then the height is also based off of, like, the musical scale, which is just a fun little extra piece of the video game.
0: So was that a pain in the ass to fucking score then?
3: Nah, it was easy on my end. I I imagine it was hard to program. Essentially, like, I would do the music... And then I'd send it to him and he'd program the levels. So I'd kind of give him like time codes of like when certain things were popping up and he'd code accordingly.
0: Is it available to play? Can I play it?
3: Yeah, the video game is out now. You can get it on Steam. It's called Neon Aileron. It comes with a copy of the soundtrack. Does Aileron mean something? Yeah, it's part of an airplane. What part? I don't know. Part of the wing? I think it's the part of the wing that goes, like, up and down, you know? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, those little, like, louver things. The flap? <laughs> I think that's an aileron. I don't know, Again, Vince named it. it that, that was his baby. Originally, it was named Rain from Above. But rain, like, R-E-I-G-N. But then it got switched, and uh, here we are. Neon aileron. Um, but it was a lot of fun to do. And I got to include some of my existing music, like, The Coast is Clear and uh i got to do some original stuff also the last track on there is called nebula and that was actually a song that i wrote for my son sagan when he was still
0: in the womb nice so have you started showing him the fucking cosmos (laughs) um little bits here and there we have like planets
3: that hang from the ceiling and there's a moon on the wall that is operated with a remote control that actually goes through the different phases and stuff. Oh, that's cool. So, trying to keep him interested in science, you know. It's important
0: yeah, I'm recording right now in my childhood bedroom and I have like glow in the dark stars on the ceiling. I love those things. That was like huge back in the day, fucking glow in the dark stars. I didn't put them up in any sort of realistic constellations, but uh they're they're still there, so that's cool.
3: We used to sell those at KB Toys. I had those on my ceiling too.
0: What is KB <laughs> Toys? That's American franchise? I don't think we ever had that here. KB Toys? Yeah.
3: It was like a miniature Toys R Us. like the, the idea is it was in malls. So you'd go to the mall and KB Toys would be the toy store in the mall. But I worked there from like 95 to 2000. Nice. Did you become the manager? <laughs> At one point in time <laughs> before I left for college. Yeah. Cool. Did you feel cool? No, but I, I liked it. I, I mean, of all the jobs you could get, if you were going to get a job in retail, working in a toy store is not a bad one
0: i worked at toys r us during the christmas season of 2001 and it was weird because like they you know they have muzak that comes in so we we're the night yeah. shift where we just had to like put boxes on shelves uh-huh. and it was the year that that song fucking hero came out by uh iglesias <laughs> with the- enrique iglesias yeah dude that song played four times a night that's all i remember was just fucking oh, brutal driving around the little uh, uh, um, what are those cars for kids? Power Wheels? I tried because I I never got to drive a Power Wheels when I was a kid. So I finally did it at Toys R Us. And it was so underwhelming because I was just too big to be driving one of those things. So it just wasn't even that fun. (laughs) And they have like a high speed of four miles an hour yeah like i thought like oh this will be so cool like to finally be able to do this and it's like ah this sucks and then every two seconds fucking i can be your hero baby and i was like fuck me like this stupid song and then uh what was the other it was that and feliz navidad it was those those two songs are like just burned into my head because they were just on a loop for me it
3: was under the sea i've never seen the little mermaid but i can sing that song because it was just on the tape you should watch it it's great do you have disney plus
0: i do but all I do, I it, like literally Disney Plus is just the Mandalorian network. I mean, that's all that I use it for. <laughs> Cause I don't, I didn't really watch Disney films as a kid. My my wife did more. It means more to her. like watch all these sort of like Mm -hmm. Disney things for me it's like what everyone's like oh it's got Simpsons on there I'm like yeah they fucking censor it like I'm not gonna watch it on fucking Disney Plus (laughs) yeah they censor like a bunch of things on there
3: yeah it's it's odd how certain things are being censored now like certain things I understand like some of the racist shit in some of the old Disney movies is awful like
0: you know it shouldn't have existed in the first place you know what though I've been thinking about this a lot because I don't think it's as crazy as people like I know people are going like oh it's crazy you know they're they're fucking taking. Stuff off the streaming services, I mean, it's the fucking communist takeover, and blah blah. <laughs> and I was thinking, I understand why people are sort of hysterical that way, especially about like censorship. And I'm thinking, well, when I was a kid and they played movies on television, they censored the shit out of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It was like, why is this any different? It's like we paid money for cable and if you watch Commando on cable there was no swearing they edited out all the bullet hits they took out any shots of nudity and then people are bitching now because they put CGI hair in front of fucking Daryl Hannah's ass and fucking Splash I'm like who the fuck cares about Splash and this was like a huge story and everyone's going off about Splash and like they covered her ass I'm like dude if you really want to see someone's ass for two seconds like you can either buy Splash or just go on the internet where you are now and I can suggest a bunch of great websites for you where like you can anyway (laughs) we need we need to listen to some music my point is i don't think i don't think it's as crazy as people are making it out like when they talk about things being taken off of streaming services it's like you can still buy them Mm -hmm. you know even like the shows like cosby show and stuff where they're like oh they they took it off streaming i'm like it's go on amazon and buy it like if you really want to watch it like you can still get it well it's like gone with the wind is the one now like they took gone with the wind off of hbo
3: but like I don't really give a shit.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's hard because I I want to be, like, this guy that cares about the history of film and stuff. And at the same time, all the stuff that they're taking away is, like, it doesn't affect me at all. So it's hard to have a passionate be like, Oh, I really wish they kept that one episode of some weird British comedy show I never liked because you know they were in blackface or something I'm like i don't give a fuck if it's gone the only thing i care about right again because i'm a huge doctor who fan and in the 70s there's this great doctor who episode but the villain is a guy with chinese makeup and it's fucking insane like when you see it it's like oh no like it's it's not right but the episode's really good like the story's <laughs> who good thought this was a good idea yeah it's weird because it's like 1976 so it's not old enough to be like You know, it's still sort of like, yeah, it probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) But I'm a huge fan, so I already own it on DVD and shit. So, like, it's like, oh, they're going to take it off of BBC streaming, a service I don't even subscribe to. (laughs) Oh, no. Anyway, look, let's listen to that track we were talking about earlier, and then we'll keep talking. This is uh, Player Select, which is the Coast is Clear instrumental from the Neon Aileron soundtrack by Von Herzog. (laughs) was player select and in brackets the coast is clear instrumental uh, by von herzog off the neon aileron soundtrack and i would say i'm with him right now but he's just gone for a bathroom break so let's talk again to rob bro how's it going dude it's going great what do you what do you do in your spare time what do you do for fun
4: my hobbies are music and drinking wine and that's about it i don't play golf i uh don't do much other than music And I'm happy with that.
0: I guess it's interesting when uh, talking to people when they have these long-spanning sort of careers in music. When you write stuff now or you make stuff now, how do you how do you feel about the way things have changed in terms of like the technology of actually like being able to you know have home studios and make stuff at home? And like, do you miss any aspects of the old way of doing things? I do not miss the old ways at all. Making music was a lot harder. I got my first Mac
4: in. like 95 when we got back from London from recording Trip with Cause and Effect. And that seemed amazing to me. At the time we had, uh, I think it was called like a sample cell card or something like that. So that was the sampler that had four stereo outs. And then there was an audio media card that allowed something like an amazing up to eight tracks of <laughs> audio in the DAW. Which, which then got spit out into just a stereo pair. So there's no separation from that. The one good thing about those limitations back then is you kind of had to be like a little more creative in how you did things. But there's absolutely no way I would want to go back to working that way anymore. We used to, um, you know, when I moved to Seattle and the other guys um, were still in California... We used to send songs back and forth like we do now with the internet, but back then it was on these incredibly expensive, like 120 megabyte optical discs that cost like 35 bucks a piece or something like that. And we'd have to like actually go to the post office and put it in an envelope (laughs) and like send it, and it would be like you know weeks before you would then get it back, and maybe there'd be a song on it. So. the the fact that you can collaborate with other people and you can pretty much like if you know if you're fast at writing you could record write on a tuesday and release it on a wednesday which is pretty awesome
0: you would probably put more thought into a demo before you sent it using one of those disks for sure because nowadays, Probably. it's it's a lot easier to shit something out and be like, hey, here's this fucking thing I just whipped up in two seconds. and like- Well,
3: that's like when you used to have to record to tape versus digital. You know, like digital, you can record as long as you have hard drive space. But when you used to have to use tape, that shit was precious. Right.
0: I went to film school and I had sort of like the same experience where I I was just part of this new generation where like I just the digital way just made so much more sense in terms of like you know for video editing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was right on the cusp mm-hmm. as when of, of when in our first year we was still learning like well you still need to know how to do like this fucking tape to tape shit and doing all this other stuff and I was like why like I had I had used a cheap version of like Avid One on like this Mac in my high school. And I remember going, like, this makes way more sense to me than this fucking shit you're doing with all this real to real nonsense. Like it just <laughs> and to me I just thought the future was fine and I knew obviously the quality of film was better than video at the time. And I remember I we did this field trip where we went to Kodak and they showed us this propaganda movie of just how much better film was than video, <laughs> where they're like, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna film the same shot using this high end video camera and film. And it's like, of course, like, the whole point of the thing was to show how great film is, because we're at Kodak. But they're also comparing, like, the resolution of film to the video of that time, which was, like, fucking, you know... Yeah, like, 480. Yeah. yeah, 720 by 480, like, video. And, like, they're still trying to pretend like it's unbiased. Like, I mean, the video did pretty good here. And, then, like, the film just looks so much better. I'm like... <laughs> Um, so like that, I still appreciate it, but the actual technique of doing it, and I imagine it's kind of the same for music as well, where it's just like, you know, just the hassle of things. And
3: I don't know that I'd be able to have made music like 30 years ago. I use all of the crutches, you know what I mean? Like having a DAW and having the ability to just loop things and work within loops and whatnot. I, yeah, I don't know that I'd ever want to go back to the old school way of having to do it all manually.
0: I guess you'd have to really know how to like write music like actually like see it on the page you know like and be like well like just plan it out like Mozart or something <laughs> which I can't do so I guess people still do that right I don't know I, I can't read or write music yeah. but,
4: <laughs> uh, I mean I write it but I can't read it one of the biggest improvements is being able to you know comp vocals out of multiple takes we recorded a trip in London with a producer Martin Phillips and he used to we everything went to a 24 track tape and he would comp vocal tracks out of multiple takes that were on multiple channels by recording to another channel and flipping on and off the correct oh, man. <laughs> the uh, the correct channel and to comp a lead vocal that way that was like a, a 10 hour process because if you flip the switch at just the wrong time then you got the wrong line or the wrong word or something like that and then you would have to go back and like start again with that with that line. It's just like the most tedious process ever, and now you know I use Logic, and you can you can comp a vocal in you know half an hour now. Do you know Ronnie Millsap? Do you remember him? You talking to me? Not personally, and well, uh,
3: no, no, no. But I mean, like, you do you remember who Ronnie Millsap was, like the artist? You talking to me? He was like a blind <laughs> country singer from back in the day. No,
0: none of this is ringing
3: home. Okay, sure, I remember him. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: So do you want to tell me something about him or what?
3: Well, yeah, that's what I'm getting to. So <laughs> when I was down in Nashville. Uh Working out of uh, soundstage studios on the Dearly Departed album, next door was Ronnie Millsap's old studio. It was called Ronnie's Place. When we were done with my session, the engineer asked if I wanted to see it, so he took me over. And they had an old Neve board in there. And Ronnie had it split to where the final eight channels, he'd run his vocals through, right? He'd do his own comps, just the same way you're saying But Ronnie Millsap was blind, so he had these toggle levers custom installed over the vocal channels in his board, and he'd sit there and just play it you know, switching the different tracks on when he knew he needed them. Isn't that bonker? Damn.
0: That shit's crazy. But I guess, I mean, one nice thing probably from coming from the old way of doing things, I mean, you you are talking about vocals and stuff, but I mean, you probably had to like, take more care to actually like, sing properly, right? Because now, when you talk about comping the vocals, but there's also, you know, tools like, well, autotune, but like, Melodyne, or like, even in Logic, when you like, you can pitch correct and stuff, and I know that's something that a lot of people just go to immediately now, like just having that ability to be like I'll just fucking take the vibrato out of this and fucking whatever but I'm sure it's still nice to come from a point where it's like oh like no I actually have to be like good at singing absolutely I always find
4: when I when I'm working on a vocal there will be one take that is the best it's not perfect but it's it's the best as far as like the vibe and um timing and things like that um and so most of the lead vocal tracks are mostly one take with a few other takes sort of pieced together and put in there where needed. The best case scenario is like yes, you sing amazingly and it's perfect and you know back in the 50s when everything was like recorded live, those people probably like rehearsed for months and months and months to get things down and the band played for months and months and months to get their parts down perfectly and that's just not how modern music's made, you know? You're a lot of times making up the instrumentation as you go. And so you don't have months to practice it. And so, you know, maybe you're not going to be as, as as solid. I think that's
0: okay. It's just a different way of making music. And that's when the pitch shifter comes into play. <laughs> I love just doing that for fun. Like just dragging the notes around. Some guy is fucking running his stupid lawnmower. <laughs> Listen to that. It's like a guy's like just chopping wood outside. They always start the second I record anything. Let's talk more about Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> So Ronnie Millsap was blind. Um,
3: no, I remember back in the day, like in the 80s and 90s, you know how they used to do like those Time Warner music compilation things. They had one for Ronnie Millsap because he had more number one country songs than anyone in history at that point. Oh, good old Ronnie Millsap. You know it. <laughs> Ladies and
0: gentlemen, Mr. Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> I'm just going to say this is an interview with Ronnie Millsap that's what the cover art is going (laughs) to say look how about this we can probably wind this thing down but uh, I want to listen to another track off of the album The Persistence of Memory by VHXRR and this uh, was a a song that I also really liked and you mentioned earlier that this was sort of like the the one that sort of showcased the theme of the album the most Uh, it's called The Sun The Stars The Shine Uh, let's do it And that was The Sun, The Stars, The Shine by VHXRR from The Persistence of Memory. And I'm here with the gentlemen involved in this collaboration, Von Herzog and Rob Rowe. I didn't ask, actually. Rob, are you just doing vocals as part of the collaboration? Or are you also doing, like, some synthy things? Like I didn't contribute anything like that on uh,
4: this EP. We're working on some new stuff. And I sent Kent a a synth track just another layer on on top of something he had done um recently which works nicely yeah i mean i don't ever want to like butt into what kent does because he's really good at it i just happened to be messing around on a sunday uh, once i finished the vocals and pulled up my my juno 60 and and just started messing around and uh it sounded good so i thought you know i'll send it to him if he wants to use it he can use it and if he doesn't he doesn't and uh Got a rough mix this morning, and it, it's in there, so I'm happy about that.
0: Wait, so, Kent, with this one, because obviously, like, having listened to some of your other music before, I mean, this one does have, like, a different sound. Mm-hmm. So, like, is part of this just inspired by the fact that you are collaborating with Rob? Like, do you do the one when he said yes and go, oh, I'm going to write sort of this music and sort of this style that sort of complements the, the vocals? Because it is different than what you normally do.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a
0: combination of things.
3: One, for me... Kind of like how Rob writes the lyrics. Like, I don't typically sit down with, like, a goal. Like, I'm going to write a song that sounds like this. You know, I just sit down and I start playing. Sometimes I start with drums. Sometimes I'll start with a bass line. Sometimes I'll start with a synth lead. I don't know. But I build it around it. Why these tracks might seem a little bit more polished is because they are. Like... I have the time to kind of work through a demo, but then once I throw it to Rob, he'll send me back, like, scratch vocals that I can drop in and keep working on the track around. And depending on where he places vocals and, you know, what kinds of harmonies he uses, that'll affect the next type of instrumentation I choose to kind of layer on top. So the musical productions definitely build as the vocals get added.
0: I know, even, like, some of, like, the instrumentation and stuff, it feels different. Like, you're you're in a different headspace or something. Yeah, I mean,
5: you
3: know, when I had done Sincerely Yours, like, I had just found Synthwave. You know, I had mentioned, like, I had found it at the beginning of 2015. Your show helped school me to, like, a lot of it. I really dug it and caught a groove, and I started writing a lot of different music, and What I liked doing with this was approaching this as not a synthwave project, per se. Like, not coming in and being like, hey, you know, I need these types of bass lines or these types of snares. I just wanted to come in and just make music. And I wanted to use a little bit more, like, my older, like, hip-hop influence. Which I think comes through on songs like The Long Goodbye, where they're a little bit more, like, intense and driving. And I just wanted something a little different, you know? And, again, I love... Rob's voice like I've told him if I could choose my own singing voice I would have chosen his like I just love how his voice sounds so being able to like take his voice and match it to the music it's effortless like I don't even have to worry or think about it I know the melody he chooses is what I would have chosen anyhow he's always a couple
0: steps ahead of me there Are you going to accept that compliment I have a tear. (laughs) Just a single tear going down
3: my left cheek right now. Like the Native American when the teenagers are littering. Do you remember that commercial? Yes, I do.
0: It's it's interesting because I've been uh, reading about that and how that that whole movement was just sort of a big front to take the the pressure away from the actual big corporations who actually do the pollution. I believe it. Because if you make it that it's the individual's responsibility, then it takes away the onus of responsibility from the people who are actually doing most of the pollution because like, oh, like... Like, you know, you just have to. If you, if only you picked up your plastic straw, those turtles wouldn't have to die. And then, meanwhile, there's like this fucking like company just like pumping sludge into the fucking water, and it's like, oh, it's your fault because of your straws, right? You know what I mean? I
4: do know what you mean. Yeah. That sounds like something a corporation would do.
0: Yeah, they do tend to be sort of evil. Most people. <laughs> anyway, listen, I'm happy about this uh, collaboration. This was a cool EP or album. What do you even fucking call these things? Five track? It's an EP, right? Or is it? An, yeah,
3: we call this an EP. Yeah, it's right. an EP.
0: Well, listen, it sounds good. It was a nice sort of, you know, I I'm listening to a lot of synthwave all the time, and it's always nice to hoard it, to hoard it, to to sort of uh hear these uh I don't know, like just the sound of it was was comforting. It sort of uh, it has this nostalgic feel to it. it. Still feels new, but it's sort of like a, a different kind of nostalgia that I wasn't hearing uh, from from many of the artists and within this sort of scene. So it made me happy and uh,
3: almost like a persistent memory of some sort.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, and the second I listened to it, my hair started to sort of grow into like this kind of weird 70s looking bowl cut, and I put on a turtleneck and got into my spaceship. <laughs> this is a Carl Sagan thing. I'm trying to I'm trying to paint a picture here of Carl Sagan. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I'm loving
3: it. I'm loving it. Yeah, so <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. Do you guys want to have uh, some final thoughts? Rob, give me some some final thoughts. <laughs> final <laughs> thoughts about what? The album? Uh, what about what you? grinds your gears? Well, about Canada? I'd say, first of all, how do you feel about blind country singer Ronnie Millsap? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the way he used to comp his
0: vocals. Yeah, yeah, because I heard he had this whole thing installed because he was blind, so he had to have these special switches installed. Some, some guy told me that. I don't know who the fuck it was.
4: I think uh, some of these statues that we're uh, pulling down around the country should be replaced with Ronnie Millsap statues.
0: Yeah, man, I totally agree. Can we get a petition going for that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I heard they were, we're going to do Dolly Parton for some of them, so maybe uh, it can be some sort of weird hybrid Dolly Parton-Ronnie Millsap statue. I bet she's never comped her
4: vocals, though. <laughs> That's why Ronnie's better.
0: Yeah, no, the only time she ever did, the only person who saw her do it was Ronnie Millsap, and so he couldn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would like to say uh, shout out to St. Samuel, who did the Inner Dramatic Gesture remix of Calm Down Lover. He has two new projects coming out, one under St. Samuel, one under Inner Dramatic Gesture. He's from Montreal. He is my favorite contemporary artist. Like Of everyone that's making music nowadays, he's the one guy that like I am checking for every time. And when the label asked us for a remix, like, he was immediately my first thought. I love his music and everyone should go check his shit out too.
0: Yeah, I think I've played a St. Samuel track on the show before. It gets crazy. There's you know, the, on the Beyond Synth database at beyondsynth.com, there is over 1,000 artists. I'm almost approaching, I think, 1,100. Wow. So I have some people who email me persistently, not many, and I have to remind them, they're just like, how come you didn't play my song? I'm like, dude, like there's... If I, if I said, I wrote this one email to someone where I was like, I play about, you know, I do an interview and I play a bunch of songs and maybe I play six tracks at the beginning of the show. I'm like, if I just played six tracks, like one from each artist on this list, it's going to take me like fucking 300 episodes just to play one song by each of the people. And then there's artists who I really like who like I play their songs maybe every few weeks or whatever. And so it gets uh, like I need to be way more organized though. That's my problem.
3: I think one of the biggest changes from Synthwave in 2015 to now is now there's more Synthwave artists than there are Synthwave fans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. No, it is true. It's like whenever we actually had Synthwave events, it's like pretty much everybody who's there is also... You know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you should check out my SoundCloud or whatever. Like, everybody. Like, everyone's got a SoundCloud. Yeah. Now, the thing is, though, not everybody's great. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I try and be very diplomatic on this show. Yeah, You have you have final edit control, Andy. This is all you. Don't worry about it. Just edit it
3: up. You don't have to even finish your thought. Moving on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't edit this show. That's just the thing I say to people. This just makes them feel better before we start recording.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's just going out as is. But for real, for real, St. Samuel his stuff's great his uh, Telerama that album is fucking bonkers good
0: I'll even go check it out because I feel like the last time I played his music on the show was probably like three or four years ago and I bet you I haven't uh, checked up when I should have so on your recommendation Kent Herzog I will go check out the music of St. Samuel which is a weird way to end this show when you should be promoting your own music
3: (laughs) Well, no, he's in the last track on the EP. He did the remix.
0: So, ah, that's true. That's I mean, true. he's that's kind true. of the bookend,
3: but okay, nonetheless, okay. nonetheless, we can we can loop it back. Rob, say something awesome. I've got nothing awesome left, uh, or ever. Our awesome tank is empty.
0: How about this? I wish you all continued success. Uh, Kent, enjoy uh, raising a kid. That's always fun. Rob, enjoy drinking wine <laughs> and making music. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us and
4: doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot, man.
0: I really appreciate you having me
4: back, and, you know, I would love checking in with you.
0: Yeah, well, it's always fun to fucking check in, as Ronnie Millsap says. <laughs> as he's known for saying. <laughs> yeah, I can I literally don't even <laughs> know what he's doing. checking either. in, hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> anyway listen you guys have a great day everyone should go check out uh the music it is VHXRR. what's the label lakeshore records right boom absolutely and of course i'll post a link in the show and all that they've got a very busy website i went to the lakeshore records thing and it's like new releases and there's yeah. like fucking like 50 squares i'm like that's a lot of squares <laughs> yeah. five of them are stranger things soundtrack yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> But Shout out to them, man. They're, they're doing their thing. I love it. Yeah, well, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's good to have lots of releases. I can never tell. Like Sometimes when I go to some websites when they have so many things, I get confused as a consumer because you know there's that thing when you're given too much choice like Netflix and you don't end up choosing anything. It's
3: choice paralysis, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if it's better off being a label with like three albums because <laughs> then you can just put them all nice front and center.
3: I want to say Lakeshore has been great. John Bergen and uh, Kathy and Kurt have helped so much getting everything, you know, pushed out and uh, I want to say thank you to them.
0: Yes, I'll say thank you, too. Thank you to Lakeshore Records. John's also an artist, right? I see his... I think I follow him on Instagram.
3: Yeah, John Bergen, yeah. And he goes way back. Like, he's OG 90s industrial
0: yeah, because I think he's he sent me music in the past, but it's like so dark. Yeah, he's. But very I always dark, be like, because yeah. he, he's a talented guy. But like, whenever I would go to I, go, I listen to the albums, I'm like, ah, oh, this shit's pretty dark. Like, it's it's cool, but it's I don't I don't often play like the weird like kind of more atmospheric or horror stuff on the show, even if I like it. I'm sort of like it's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's weird to have like a radio show and be like, now here's this, and it's like some weird like droning sound effect for six minutes, and like the sound of a lady screaming at the end, you know. <laughs> but anyways,
3: I hope. Yeah, no, you're way more upbeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Anyways, uh, I've just said goodbye like eight times to you guys, so listen, have have fun. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, stay safe, all that stuff. Um, try and keep your grocery shops to a minimum, and uh, always wear a mask. Rob, will do. I'm directing that one at you. I've been wearing a mask this whole time. Good. <laughs> I couldn't. Was I uh, not supposed to? I, I'm, dude, I'm as blind as Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> I I couldn't see, so I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> Anyways, oh good times. All right. <laughs> All right, thanks for talking, guys. All right, thank you. Thanks, Andy. All right, and that was my conversation with VHXRR, Rob Rowe, and Vaughn Herzog. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I feel like I'm losing my voice right now. Uh, I won't let that stop me. But uh, look, I hope you guys uh, are having a good time or a decent time under the circumstances. Maybe we shouldn't be too overly enthusiastic. I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. But uh, look, the bottom line is thanks for listening to the show. Uh, tune in next time to Beyond Synth, and you're all cool, all right? All right. You're all cool. That's my new, we got 10 new catchphrases. Fuck 2020, it's always sunny on Beyond Synth, and you're all cool. And I hope you have a lovely weekend. Stay safe and tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is.
4: If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth. Or you can donate directly on beyondsynth.com. Beyond Synth can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher,
2: and iTunes. And remember to like and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. Until next time...